Video starts at 13.50. Intro. Of course it's absurd. It's as I suspected. Well, I must defend my name. No, you must do no such thing. Oh, my honor, I will, my lord, I must. I know you yearn to defend your name and your honor, but the common mind has no capacity for this sort of nuance. It's, they simply don't understand the world as we do. These villains and heroes, that is all. Yeah, my lord. Deny, deny, deny. All men are not equal in heart and spirit. From a short history of Christianity by J. M. Robertson. Taken individually, then, an average Christian of the second century was likely to be an unlettered person of the lower middle or poorer classes, living in a town, either bitterly averse to idols, theatres, the circus, and the public baths, or persuaded that he ought to be, utterly credulous as to demons and miracles, incapable of criticism as to sacred books, neurotic or respectful towards neurosis, readily emotional towards the crucified God and the sacred mystery in which were given the body and blood, devoid alike of aesthetic and of philosophic faculty, without the thought of civic duty or political theory, much given to his ritual, capable of fanatical hatred and of personal malice, but either constitutionally sober and chaste or chronically anxious to be so, and in times of persecution exalted by the passion of self-sacrifice, perhaps then transiently attaining to the professed ideal of love towards enemies. But the effective bonds of union for the community, whether in peace or during persecution, were rather the ruling passion of hostility to pagan beliefs and usages, and the eager hope of salvation, than any enthusiasm of humanity, social or even sectarian. And, as an orthodox ecclesiastic has remarked, we cannot even cursorily read the New Testament without being astonished by the allusions so often made to immoral persons calling themselves Christians. From a new model of the universe by P. D. Uspensky. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Initiation gave freedom from this gloom, gave a way of escape from the never-ending anguish of the abodes of the dead, gave a kind of life in death. This idea is expressed more clearly than anywhere else in the Easter hymn of the Orthodox Church, which undoubtedly comes from very remote pre-Christian antiquity and links the Christian idea with the idea of the mysteries. Christ is risen from the dead. He has conquered death with death, and given life to those who were in tombs. There is a remarkable analogy between the content of the mysteries and the earthly life of Christ. The life of Christ, taken as we know it from the Gospels, represents the same mystery as those which were performed in Egypt on the island of Phile, in Greece at Eleusis, and in other places. First of all the idea of esotericism tells us of the knowledge which has been accumulated for tens of thousands of years and has been handed down from generation to generation within small circles of initiates, this knowledge often relates to spheres which have not even been touched upon by science. In order to acquire this knowledge, and also the power which it gives, a man must go through difficult preliminary preparations and tests and prolonged work without which it is impossible to assimilate this knowledge and to learn how to use it. This work for the mastery of esoteric knowledge, and the methods belonging to it, constitute by themselves a separate cycle of knowledge unknown to us. One and the same idea invariably runs through the teachings originated by these people, namely, the idea that only a very few can enter the esoteric circle, though many may desire to do so and may even make the attempt. The esoteric schools which preserve ancient knowledge, handing it over from one to another in succession, 
and the people who belong to these schools stand apart, as it were, from ordinary mankind, to which we belong. According to the idea of esotericism, as applied to the history of mankind, no civilization ever begins of itself. There exists no evolution which begins accidentally and proceeds mechanically. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Civilization never starts by natural growth, but only through artificial cultivation. Esoteric schools are hidden from the eyes of ordinary humanity, but the influence of schools persists uninterruptedly in history, and has the aim, so far as we can understand this aim, of helping, when that appears possible, races which have lapsed into a barbarous state of one kind or another to emerge from that state and to enter upon a new civilization, or a new life. A savage or semi-savage people or an entire country is taken in hand by a man possessing power and knowledge. He begins to educate and instruct the people. He gives them a religion, he makes laws, builds temples, introduces writing, creates the beginning of art and the sciences, makes the people migrate to another country if necessary, and so on. Theocratic government is a form of such artificial cultivation. Biblical history from Abraham, and possibly even earlier, to Solomon, is an example of the civilizing of a savage people by members of the inner circle from the Colbrin. The barbarian asks, Who and what is the supreme spirit? Say unto him, Conceive it as a being even above your greatest God. If it helps in your understanding, see the supreme spirit as a God reflecting his image as yourself. The barbarian seeks a God he can see, but try and make him understand this is impossible. The barbarians are still children and these things do not easily come within. Because of this it may be best if they were taught by simple tales, like children, and so brought into the light gradually. A belief in the Supreme Spirit is of no great importance. An inquiry into his nature by the ignorant is purposeless foolishness. It is of much more importance to men that they believe in their own souls. Belief in a God of any sort without belief in the immortality of man and his godlikeness serves no end. If a God existed without man deriving any benefit from his existence, it would be better for man to ignore him. This, however, is not the case. Man seeks unity and communion with the Supreme Spirit only for his own benefit. Man has a destiny founded in something greater than himself, and hence his need for that something. The existence of a Supreme Being is not just something to accept, believe in and ignore. A belief, faith alone, cannot be ends in themselves, for nothing exists without purpose. Simple belief in a Supreme Being is not enough, we must know the purpose or intention of the being. If we believe this Supreme Being created us, however this was brought about, we must seek to discover the purpose behind our creation. If we were created to serve some purpose, to do something we were intended to do, we must do it or earn our Creator's displeasure. Does the potter keep the pot useless for its purpose, or the smith keep unwrought metal? Only things which serve the purpose for which they were intended are kept and cherished. Therefore, we who are brothers, were taught not only to believe in a Supreme Being but also in our similarity to Him. The Supreme Spirit is not a stranger beyond our ken, the powers of the Supreme Spirit infuse every fiber of our bodies. For the sake of the barbarians it is perhaps best to call the Supreme Spirit, God, the God without a name. 
this will solve some difficulties, and if the barbarians think themselves superior because they contain him within a name, let it be so and hold yourself in peace. The barbarians make images of God to make him more understandable. Are we much better who make images of him in our likeness within our thoughts? Not perhaps because we believe him so, but to make him more understandable. As man's understanding of God increases, so does God recede, so that though through the ages man comes to understand God better, he ever keeps the same distance away. We who dwell in the light of the Supreme Spirit have come closer to understanding, not because we are better men but because we have devoted our lives to the search, the mystics. If any man seek carefully and diligently enough he must find whatever it is he seeks. God is not a person, but the Supreme Spirit. They must also learn that the spirit is not something separate from man, or something within him. Man is spirit, man is soul. I am not born, nor will I ever die. I am Haru the enlightened one, Haru the twice born. Having crossed the dark waters myself, I carry the others across. Being free from fear, I free others from fear. Being unrestricted, I ease the restriction of others. Knowing the way, I show it to others. Having trodden the road, I now guide others along it. I am an illuminated one, the open of ear, the keen of eye. I am one who knows the law, I am a keeper of ordinances. To obtain the gem the serpent must be aroused and then overcome. To rouse this serpent is a thing not to be lightly undertaken, for it causes a fire to mount into the heart, which may destroy the brain with delusions and madness. Only the twice born can really obtain the gem. Then you pass through the portal to the Hall of Judgment. Here, for the first time, your light is revealed and it is made known whether your tongue has spoken in accordance with the things within your heart. Many are they who know the words of the tongue but sever these from what is written in the heart. If the words of the tongue are copied from the writings of the heart and are a true copy, then cross to the place of assessment where your true form and likeness will be displayed for all to see. A curtain of darkness descends, there is a heavy dark mist, then the muffled crash of thundering doors. The aching body reclines within the tomb of stone. The questing pilgrim has returned to his helm haven. He has learned truths he could never learn on earth and now knows the grand secret. Faith is replaced with certainty and he is now an initiated one. He who sees his own self in all things and all things in his own self is awakened. He is beyond delusion and outside the reach of futile sorrow. Having arisen from the womb of rebirth, the spirit is completely freed from any doubt about the immortality of man. The truly awakened soul is beyond carnal lust and mortal grief, his love is alike for all my creation and thus he shows supreme love for me. If a man would know heaven, he must first know earth. Man cannot understand heaven until he understands earth. He cannot understand God until he understands himself, and he cannot know love unless he has been loveless. God is unknown but not unknowable. He is unseen but not unseeable. God is unheard but not unhearable. He is not understood but he is understandable. The people of those times spurned all spiritual things and men lived only for pleasure, caring little for the good of mankind or the future of the people. The goal of life is upstream, not downstream. 
man must struggle against the current, not drift with the flow. From the revolt against civilization, the menace of the underman by Lothrop's Doddard, it is this elite which leavens the group and initiates progress. From the Bow and the Club by Julius Savola. The last point to which I will allude in these short notes no longer pertains to the definition of the pure concept of initiation in itself, but rather to the connection between the level of initiation and that of mundane reality and history. Particularly in recent times the conception of the secret character of the quality of the initiate has prevailed. The following saying of a Sufi, Islamic initiate, could be cited, that I am a Sufi is a secret between me and God. The hermetic character of the initiate is clear, moreover, from the initiatory current from which this adjective is specifically derived alchemical hermeticism, one of the main currents in the post-Christian West. But if we go further back in time, a different possibility is also attested. If we focus our gaze on those civilizations which, in an eminent sense, we may call traditional those civilizations which had an organic and sacred character and in which all activities were adequately ordered from top down at the center of such civilizations we often find, quite visibly, figures with features similar to those attributed to initiates. As this center is constituted by an imminent transcendence, so to speak, meaning a real presence of the non-human in the human, which is expected of particular beings or elites, there is a corresponding form of spirituality which defines the initiate and distinguishes him from the priest, for example, because the priest, at best, is a mediator of the divine and the supernatural, but does not incorporate this element in himself through the character of centrality. The divine royalty at the origins of a great number of civilizations had precisely this metaphysical character. Power of Third Eye, What Illuminati Does Not Want You To Know There is a power within you that can change the way you see the world. It is your sixth sense, your third eye. The third eye is not really a part of the physical body. It is part of the second body which is the etheric body, the subtle body or the sukshma sharia. Your etheric body is a body that is similar to your physical body over which it is superimposed, it has a corresponding spot in the physical body, but it is not part of it. That is why physiology cannot believe that there exists a third eye or anything like it because your skull can be analyzed, penetrated, x-rayed, as there is no physical entity which can be said to be the third eye. So far the closest reference scientist discovered on the psychical body is the pineal gland. This secret is something that secret societies and the Illuminati have been knowing for many many years, the third eye, this secret is something that secret societies and the Illuminati have been knowing for many many years. Secret societies don't give a damn about the plebs. They are initiatic societies, so forget the plebs and the bourgeoisie in their public. People who are illuminated don't give a damn about you. And for a good reason. They look down on you from where you don't want to move. Delusion of grandeur as if the secret societies had an interest in the plebs. The plebs are cattle. Anyway, you will never understand how it all works. Never. And when I say never, I mean never. You will never understand how it all works anyway. You can talk about this crap for ages, maintain the new age because that's what it really is. 
All these things will never be activated in you. From Capitalism by Michael Faust, The Three Classes. The world has always consisted of three classes, the patricians, the plebeians, plebs, and the proletariat, proles. In ancient Rome, the patricians were the small elite class, the plebs were the mass of common people, and the proles were the underclass who had no property. In today's world, the patricians are the privileged elite, the super-rich, the celebrities, the nobility, the aristocracy, the ownership class. The plebs are made up of a wide range, the lower upper class, the middle class, the upper working class, and all the aspirational wannabes. All plebs want to become patricians and are terrified of becoming proles. Eternal Law In political jargon, the bourgeois class is called the social gelatin and for a good reason. Patricians almost never lose their status. Plebs almost never get promoted to the patrician class, but quite a few slip into proldom. Some proles become plebs, but most stay trapped in proldom forever. This means that the voters' vote is useless. It serves us. These lazy bastards want everything free, we should give away what we have earned, marks. Spiritual salvation, initiation should be free, a Jesus Messiah saved them. Everything should be free for them. If you give a millimeter to these people, they will take a meter. Fuck off lazy bastards.